Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 115 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the evening service of Sunday the 7th of July 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 47. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation, Chapter 19, Verses 7 to 9. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. For those that were with us this morning, we... Continuing our study on the glorious church of Jesus Christ, after looking at the defining of the New Testament church, the design of the New Testament church, and the duty of the New Testament church, we began looking this morning at the destiny of the New Testament church. We're going to continue to, uh, to look there this evening, and first of all, for our Scripture reading this evening, let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 19. And we'll read verses 7 through 9. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Father, we thank you again this evening for the privilege of having your word, Lord, of having your spirit to make that word alive into our hearts. Father, thank you as we gather here in your house this evening that once again, as we look into your word, that we can have the confidence of knowing that, Lord, it's not by our intellect, Lord, it's not the knowledge of man that we desire, but Lord, we know that we have your promise that you will meet with us, that you will give us an understanding, that you will speak to our hearts. So, Father, we pray that this evening. You know the hearts of each individual. You know what is needed. We ask that you would do it for the name and sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, in his name we pray, amen and amen. The destiny of the church. We've looked at all these things about the church, and what it is and how it works, and what its responsibilities and duties are, but where is it all headed to? And so as we began to look this morning, we saw that, first of all, the destiny of the church is the rapture from the earth. We're looking for that day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And the Bible says that he's going to descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And, of course, we listen, we look, we wait expectantly for that day, the return of the Lord himself as he comes back. And, of course, when he returns, the Bible goes on to say, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The return of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, the renovation of the living, and the reunion in the air we looked at this morning. And then we saw that after the rapture of the church from the earth, that the next thing we see is the reward in heaven. And we looked there this morning and we talked about as we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And you know, even though that 
God has blessed us and done so much for us already. When we get to heaven, one of the first things he wants to do is to reward us for all that we have done for him and for his sake while we're serving him here on earth. So we've moved from earth to heaven and we have gone through the judgment seat of Christ. What's the next event for the church? And we've just read about it here in Revelation chapter 19, and that's the receiving of the bride. Now we read here, and he talks about uh, the marriage of the lamb and that the wife has been made ready. Um, we're talking about the bride that Jesus Christ himself is going to receive unto himself. Well, how do we know that that bride is us? How do we know that that bride is the church? Well, for one thing, we looked at a number of scriptures on that when we defined the church and looked at that's, that's one of the descriptions that the scriptures give us in defining what the church is. We find even if we continue to look here where we are, if you look two chapters later, when the Bible is describing the new heaven and the new earth, we see the bride present there again, and we see her in the new Jerusalem. Look in Revelation chapter 21, and notice what it says in verses 9 to 11. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper, stone clear as crystal. So we find that John's telling us here in his revelation that the angel came and said, come, I want to show you. I want to show you the bride, the bride of the Lamb, the bride of Jesus Christ. And he shows him this heavenly Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem that he says the bride. Of course, he's not talking about the structure itself, but of course, those that are in that structure. Who is in that new Jerusalem? Well, notice in verse 27 of this same chapter when it says, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. He showed him the city coming down. He said, I want to show you the bride of Jesus Christ. I want to show you the new Jerusalem. Who's in that new Jerusalem? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life of life. We find if you look back in relating the difference as the writer of, of, of Hebrews was, uh, was writing and speaking of the difference of the Old Testament saint, and of course we saw this morning as we look back that the nation of Israel was, was called out with a voice and a trumpet, uh, just like that we're going to, uh, to hear when, when the Lord returns for us to this earth. We find that there they were called to an earthly location at the foot of Mount Sinai into God's presence. Well, the writer of Hebrews, which I think was the Apostle Paul, uh, as he was writing about this and comparing it to the New Testament and the heavenly Mount Zion, notice what he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and beginning in verse 18. He says, 
For ye are not come unto the mountain that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Remember the description we saw of, 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 of Mount Sinai this, this morning when we looked in that passage in, in Exodus when they were called there and, and all the, the smoke and the earthquake and everything is in God's presence. He says, that's not where you're coming into. He says, in the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. And then you have in parentheses, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And as so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But notice what he says in verse 22. But ye are coming to Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Verse 26 says, to the general assembly and what's the next word in your Bible? And church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You see, Paul, when writing to them here, he says, you're, you're not being called to this physical mountain when they came into the presence of God. You're being called to a heavenly mountain, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, when that voice comes, then you're there. Who's there? The general assembly and church of the firstborn, the called out assembly of our Lord. He also writes, when writing to the church of Corinth back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, notice what he says there in verse 2. He says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Why? For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He was jealous with a godly jealous. They were espoused to Jesus to be presented in that purity. We talk much about the bride and won't spend a lot of time. I just want to refresh your memory as we look at what we've seen about the church, that it is we that are privileged to be a part of the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that one day when that trumpet sounds and we hear that shout, the Lord returns to take us unto himself, that yes, we're going to gather in heaven. And as we gather there, he's going to reward us for those things that have been done for his glory and his honor, those lasting things, those eternal things. But he's also going to receive us as his bride, as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we have to look forward to, the destiny of the church. Well, first of all, the rapture from this earth, followed by the reward in heaven. And for those things that are not worthy of reward, the Bible says they'll just be burned up and done away with. They won't even exist. And, of course, that's followed then by the receiving of the bride, by the groom, Jesus Christ himself. The destiny of the church. What a glorious destiny. But what makes that even more exciting? It's one thing to recognize that Jesus is fulfilling his promise to come back after us. And when he comes back, we're going to all be united in the air. And he's going to take us back to heaven with him. 
And there we're going to sit at that place where that we'll be rewarded, and then we're going to be received as the very bride of Christ. But while all that is going on, while we're there in heaven, I believe, and of course, I know we have to be careful not to be over dogmatic about these things, but we know that we preach and we teach, and I believe with all my heart, I believe that that rapture, that return of Jesus Christ to take us in the air, I believe that that is when the Lord is coming back to us just prior to what is known here on earth as the seven years of great tribulation. So while we're there in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ and while we're there at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we just got through reading that here on earth, there's going to be seven years like this world has never seen before. These seven years have been the worst days since earth came into existence, and it's seen some pretty bad days. That's why it's known as the Great Tribulation. And of course, I believe at the end of that seven years that the church will then be returning to this earth with their Lord, with their King, as the bride of Christ, as we come back with him. First of all, let's look this morning as we look back into the, to the Old Testament prophecy. This time we're going to look at the prophet Isaiah. And back in Isaiah chapter 13, I want you to notice what he says here in verses 6 to 9. Isaiah chapter 13, beginning of verse 6, says, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. They shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the sinners thereof, out of it. We find that the prophet Isaiah there is describing what I believe are those seven terrible years, and particularly the last three and a half of those years here upon this earth. If you look over a bit further in your Bible to the prophet Zechariah, we find that he also looks forward to this day in Zechariah chapter 14. And notice what he says there, in chapter 14 and verse 4 and 5, he says, speaking here of, I believe, the visible return of our Lord. Matter of fact, let's begin up in, 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 in verse 1 because I believe that uh, you'll get the context of what we're reading. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. This is right at the close of the seven years of tribulation. This is when the Lord returns to the earth with his church. 
It says, verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and what? And all the saints with thee. We find that the devil, we find that all of his workers, the beast and the false prophet, oh, they're going to think that they've done Jerusalem in. They're going to think that they've gotten rid of them. They're going to think that they've got them under the, the heel of their, their thumb, if you would, but... The Lord is returning. Now, keep in mind, the Old Testament knew that there was a coming Messiah, but they didn't know anything about the mystery of what was to be known as the church. That was yet to be revealed. But of course, as we look into the New Testament, and that mystery is revealed because here in the Old Testament, it talked about all the saints returning with him. We find if you... Turn with me again as we look this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And notice what it says in chapter 3 and in verse 13. It says, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, when at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all, A-L-L, his saints. The Lord is coming with all of his saints, the Bible says. Well, what's going to happen when he comes back? Turn with me, if you would, just a few pages over into Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's pick up there in verse 7 where it says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day when the Lord comes back with all of his saints. The Bible says that he's going to come and he's going to come as a warrior and he's going to destroy all that is sin and all that is related to sin, and all those that have not accepted the gospel which he's put there for them. Back in the book of Revelation again in chapter 19, notice what he says beginning in verse 11. He says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, 
And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath in his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, the truth is, is that when we, we think of these things many times, it is not going to be a pretty sight. The earth is going to be in a worse state than it has ever been in in history Why? Because of sin, because of Satan, because of the simple fact that man will have come to that point that he's turned so against God. But the Lord himself is coming back as a judge, as a warrior. Sometimes we find it hard to to see God in that way. Well, that's not something that we have to fear as Christians. The problem for us, just as we talked this morning, that we can't really grasp and understand what it's going to be like when we are changed into that glorious state. We can't understand what it is like to be totally, completely without sin, without any of the marks of sin on our life. But just as surely, we can't truly grasp how horrible this sin is to a holy God. And you stop and think of God's creation and every every pain that's ever been, every sorrow that's ever come upon a soul in this world, all the pain and sorrow and agony and the worst that man can be, it's all a result of sin. We, we, We can't comprehend either extreme that which is totally without sin or the true depths and horror of what sin is. God did not create this earth to be a place of sorrow, a place of pain. But man has chose to make it that way because of his sin. And he goes farther and farther and farther away from God. But one day as the church, yes, one day we're going to be raptured from this earth And when we're raptured from this earth, we're going to be rewarded in heaven. And we're going to be received as the bride of Christ in heaven. And while that's taking place in heaven here upon this earth, they're going to be going through these seven terrible years. But at the end of that, then we return to the earth with Christ as he comes back to judge the world, as he comes back as a warrior. And we know that as he's coming back to earth this second time, that he's not coming as a little sweet baby in a manger again. 
He's not coming to be ridiculed and put down and mocked and, and nailed to a cross by men as he did the first time. He went through all of that for the joy that was set before him because he knew what the end would be. He did that for us. When he comes back, the Bible says he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if you continue to read down through chapter chapter 19 in your Bibles here, you'll see that that great warrior takes place in what is known as the Battle of Armageddon. We find that it was there in the Valley of Megiddo that we were just hearing described there. And folks, that battle will be like nothing this world has ever seen. And when you look at the horrible sights of war, of what man is capable of, we find that it's pretty bad, but this is going to be a battle like no other. We find that the beast and the false prophet will be destroyed along with the kings of this earth and all of their armies. And as we move into chapter 20, we find Satan himself, the great arch enemy, being bound and cast into the bottomless pit and literally being sealed there for a thousand years. Why was he sealed there for a thousand years? Because the next event on the calendar for the church, following our return to this earth, is the reign upon the earth. <laughs> Jesus Christ will set his kingdom up, and it's going to be a real kingdom. If you look over into chapter 20 of Revelation, notice what he says there beginning in verse 4. He says, And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ. How long? A thousand years. He's come back with all of his saints. But while this has been taking place in heaven, those that have been saved here on the earth during that seven years, and there will be people saved. God's going to call out 144,000 evangelists, I believe literally 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And though he's dealing primarily with the nation of Israel during those years, Jesus Christ is going to be preached, and people will be saved. But it'll cost them everything. It'll cost them everything. We hear them of them being beheaded, of their lives being taken from them. But when Christ comes back, oh, he's going to bring them up to reign with him, with all those that have come with him. He says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. The ones that didn't know Christ. This is the first resurrection. He said, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, respectfully, we've got a lot of good Christians out there that are on the way to heaven. We talked about this. We talked about the literal, visible return of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ himself literally, visibly is returning to this earth to receive his church to himself, then you're reading a different Bible than me. You're of a different faith than I am. Christians differ on a lot of the timings. 
I'm giving it to you as I see it. I believe there will be, not that this is some imaginary reign of Christ from heaven. The Bible gives us a very clear picture of him coming back to this earth, of binding Satan. Satan is certainly not bound now for those that think we're already in the kingdom and for reigning upon this earth for a thousand years. I, I really believe that that is going to be a reality for all of us. So Christ will return to this earth with his saints, and when he does, he'll set up his kingdom, he'll reign for a thousand years, and the church and all the saints will reign with him during that kingdom age. If you carry on through this chapter, you see that same Satan that was bound for a thousand years, you see him being loosed again. You see another battle, that great battle of Gog and Magog taking place. You see the doom of Satan for all of eternity, once and for all, cast into the lake of fire. You see the great white throne of judgment, the final judgment of all of the unbelieving. But you see, that's nothing for the Christian to fear. That's something that should drive us. We know our friends, our relatives, the people we care about, the people we work with, the people we meet on the streets, they don't have to be at that great white throne of judgment. They can become part of the church right now. How? By having their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And if our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then we're going to be raptured from this earth. And we're going to be. We're going to be, first of all, at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't believe we're going to have to go through what this earth is going through down here. And then we're going to come back with our Lord to this earth when he comes back to put an end to all of man's destruction. One of the most amazing things I find is how Jesus Christ himself can sit upon the throne and reign upon this earth for a thousand years, and yet at the end of it, Satan is still able to, to influence some of them to, to go against Jesus. But that's when it'll be finished. That's when he'll be cast away forever and ever. Our destiny, oh, you want to know that you're part of the church, that you're part of that rapture, that you're a part of that reward in heaven, that you're part of the receiving of the bride by Jesus Christ himself, that you're with him when he returns to this earth to set up his kingdom upon this earth. We'll look at some other things as we come back there next week about how Jesus, he is. As he returns to this earth, he's not coming just to do battle. He's coming to reign. And he's also coming to remake all things new, all the things that we've destroyed, all the things that we've tarnished, God's going to make them all new again. Oh, the glorious church of Jesus Christ, we've got a glorious future. We've got a destiny that's like nobody else. We've got a destiny that's an eternal destiny, but it's a destiny of glory. We saw those, those new bodies. We saw how that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter those that have gone before us or those of us that still remain will be united with him once and for all on that glorious day. So thank God. Thank God that we can be part of that church.
because of what Christ has done for us. Thank God that our destiny is one that I don't believe we're going to have to go through. A lot of the things this earth will because our sins have been taken care of. Our sins have been taken by Jesus Christ himself. Father, we thank you this evening that as we look at the destiny of the church, that, Lord, it truly is a glorious destiny for us. We also realize, Lord, that we cannot look in that without recognizing and realizing that for many it will not be a glorious day. And, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to love as we've never loved before. Help us to witness like we've never witnessed before. Help us to be reminded, Lord, that, Lord, our greatest duty to you is to continue your work here on this earth. Lord, help us. Help us not to take light our duties. Lord, we've got a glorious destiny, but help us, Lord, to have a desire. Lord, for those around us to take as many of them with us as possible. We know that it's not your will for them to perish. We know that you've done everything out of a great love that is incomprehensible. Lord, with a grace that is, Lord, immeasurable. But, Father, I pray that you would help us not to be slack in what we have to do. And I pray that as we look forward to that glorious destiny that we recognize and realize that it really is all worth it. We find that the Apostle Paul talked in your word about the, the sufferings of this life not even being comparable to the glory that's before us. We know that when Jesus Christ came and he suffered all the great suffering that he did, that it was for the joy that was set before him. Help us as we look at our destiny. Help us to recognize and realize there's no price too high. You paid the highest price of all. Lord, help us to be able, to be willing, to be desirous, to pay whatever is necessary to see our loved ones one to Christ as well. We give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. 